Okay, hello, I'm Ruth Hetler, for those of you that don't know me. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I'm speaking about Emmanuel, God with us. So if you could turn to Matthew chapter 1, that would be great. Um, I've had an interesting, well, I've had an interesting week. I've had an interesting 24 hours, which involved spending just over five hours in A&E at the JR last night. Um, so you have to bear with me if I'm not quite here. I'm, I'm here, um, but there's no PowerPoint, I'm afraid, largely due to disappearing off to the JR. Um, but anyway, praise God, he is good and he's with us. And, yeah, he is our healer. So let's read together Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to verses 25. I'm going to read. The birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Great. Well, I'm really excited to be speaking about this this morning. And I really believe that God is going to do something, actually. I really believe that God wants to reveal to us afresh himself as Emmanuel, God with us. So can I encourage you? The thing about speaking is that you, you live it. You know, you, you, I've read books. I've read scripture. I've prayed. It, you know, it's been with me all week. It's been in me all week. And I, I know that you guys are kind of coming in afresh this morning morning but can I really encourage us to stir our hearts this morning to stir our hearts and say God you know what do you want to do in me what do you want to speak to me about what do you want to reveal to me about yourself that maybe I've not seen before and have an expectation and a level of faith that he will meet you this morning so looking at Matthew chapter 1, Matthew, at the beginning um, of the book, he's introduced the genealogy of Jesus to us. He's told us of those that have gone before. If you like, the backdrop is now in place and the scene is now set for Matthew to turn us to the events of surrounding the birth of Jesus. And we're told that Mary was pledged to be married. She was betrothed to a man called Joseph. 
And before they'd come together in marriage and in any sexual union, Mary was found to be pregnant, a child conceived of the Holy Spirit. But we're also told that Joseph is thinking of divorcing Mary because he's a righteous man. He is thinking of doing that quietly, which probably meant just um, bringing her kind of before a couple of witnesses to sign the divorce papers. And just in case we're a bit confused, the betrothal um, that Matthew's talking about is a bit different to kind of our engagements today. When, you know, we say, will you marry me? Someone says yes, and there's an exchange of a ring. But um, this, a betrothal in, in the times of Jesus, were, it, was a, it was a legal, legally binding relationship. It was a pledge to be married. Um, it was more than just an, an agreement. It was a legally binding agreement. And if either party didn't want to proceed, then a divorce was required. So Joseph was planning on doing this quietly. Um, He didn't have to do it quietly. He could have publicly humiliated Mary if he wanted to, but he was a righteous man, so he chose not to. But God asks more of Joseph than just to be righteous. God asks um, obedience. God asks Joseph to take steps of faith and steps of obedience And thankfully, God steps in um, and prevents Joseph from um, divorcing Mary. I'm quite grateful God has a habit of stepping in, aren't you? He has a habit of stepping in. I don't know if you've noticed that about the Bible, but he steps in quite a lot. And we're going to look a bit of that today. So God steps in and asks even more of Joseph, as I've said. He asks him to be obedient. And he sends an angel um, which appears to Joseph in a dream and tells Joseph to not be afraid. To not be afraid. And I don't know, I've been thinking about this this week. You know, we read the story, the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus and we know it. Well, if you've read it enough, you kind of know it and it trips off the tongue. But I've been thinking a bit about Mary and I've been thinking a bit about Joseph. And I've been realizing afresh how huge it was for them. You know, Mary was a young woman, pregnant. She could have been shunned by her family. She could have been rejected by Joseph. She actually could have been stoned to death legally if, if you know, Joseph had taken Um, that through she could have lost her life and Joseph is told to be obedient and not be afraid and and he was taking on um, Mary as his wife you know already pregnant he could have been shunned he could have been rejected but he, he you know he took he took her on he was obedient he laid down his own life and his own reputation he would have had to count the cost of his own reputation And that challenges me. That challenges me deeply because I think, gosh, God, how many times have you asked me to do something and I've not done it for fear of what people think or for fear of, you know, my reputation at work or, you know, what, yeah, what my friends might think of me. And it's really hit me afresh reading this story about Mary and Joseph and thinking, wow, what must they have been like that God chose them, that God chose Mary to be the woman that carried Jesus and raised him? And what man must Joseph have been like that God chose him to raise Jesus as, you know, as his son? I think they must have been remarkably yet 
probably incredibly understated people, but they were obedient to the call of God. They were obedient to what God asked them to do. And I say, oh, Lord, that I would be that kind of woman. So Matthew's introduced us to the situation surrounding the conception of Jesus. And then Matthew says in verse 22, all of this meaning the supernatural conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit um, through the Virgin Mary. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. And Matthew then quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and I'm just going to turn to that. So Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah, Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So Matthew here is quoting that passage from Isaiah. Just lost Matthew. There he is. Um, I'm not going to hugely unpack that passage from Isaiah, um, but I'm going to just draw some points to kind of hopefully link that passage in Matthew and that passage in Isaiah and then kind of go into some more things. So who is the virgin that Isaiah is talking about and who is this Emmanuel? And the same questions in Matthew. So it's it's vaguely important to make a bit of a distinction here for, for people that are interested in this kind of thing. Obviously, um, um, Isaiah would have been written in Hebrew, um, and the Hebrew word, I understand anyway, that um, is in Isaiah, the Hebrew word for virgin is, is Alma. I don't know actually how you say that, Dave, sorry. Is that all right? Okay. Um, but that means, that, that Hebrew word means a young woman of, of a marriageable age. And in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew translates this Hebrew word with a Greek word called parthenos, And that Greek word assumes somebody's virginity. So there's a slight distinction here, my understanding of what I've read anyway, about the two words. Um, So um, Matthew translates this this word to mean, yeah, to mean that. So Matthew is revealing Mary, the mother of Jesus, as the ultimate and the literal fulfilment of this virgin that's talked about in Isaiah chapter 7. That Isaiah, though, foresaw some of the fulfillment of this promise, of this prophecy. Um, And it's thought, actually, that Isaiah's own wife, um, who bears a son in chapter 8, it's thought that she was the woman um, bearing um, the child um, that they called Emmanuel. And actually, through Isaiah's wife's son, they did see some of the promises that are made in Isaiah chapter 7 fulfilled, if that kind of makes sense. So there's a, there's a small fulfillment, if you like, a foreshadow of something in Isaiah chapter 7. But Matthew sees beyond something. He sees beyond the promise um, that's given through the prophet Isaiah to a greater fulfillment, to a greater fulfillment in the birth of Jesus as this Emmanuel, um, which Matthew translates as God with us. So this prophecy, it meant something at the time of Isaiah, but there was a greater final fulfillment through the birth of Jesus. So this word Emmanuel is a Hebrew word, and it's explained and translated by Matthew as to mean God with us. 
And as I understand it, this word Emmanuel, it's found fairly infrequently, actually, in Scripture. We don't see it very much. Matthew mentions it and Isaiah mentions it, but I think that's about it. And what conclusion do we draw from then? You know, if if the word Emmanuel and God with us isn't mentioned much, does that mean that actually the, the concept of God being with us is only demonstrated in these two books of Scripture Uh, in only these two written examples of this prophecy? Well, of course not. Of course not. Of course we know that God is with us and um, that God has been with his people since the beginning of time. And I think throughout the entire scripture and the entire biblical story, there's a resounding sound of God saying to his people, I am with you. I am with you. I am am with you and that is the sound that I want us to hear this morning that is the sound the sound of God saying to his people I am with you I am with you I am with you I am with you you." If you take nothing else away from this morning, then take that. Take that. The resounding sound throughout the entire biblical story of God saying and demonstrating to his people, I am with you. Richard Foster says in his book, Life with God, this news of God being with us doesn't come to us as an intellectual proposition. It isn't bound up in academic doctrine for some religious scholars, nor is it, in fact, rumours of just supernatural activity in the celestial arenas. Rather, he says, it is a reality that unfolds before us in breathtaking detail mediated through actual experiences of individuals, of families, of tribes, of cities, of communities, of nations and of generations, over and over and over again. And what Foster essentially is saying here is that the news of God being with us, it it isn't an intellectual thing, it isn't a mere supernatural event, although of course it involves the work of the Spirit, but it is something that is unfolded throughout history, through people, through stories of men and women, of communities, of families, of generations, time and time again. And there are two things I want to draw out through scripture um, of this, this resounding sound of God being with his people. And I think we know this to be true because primarily of two things, and I've called it the promise and the presence of God. The first meaning, the promises that God makes to his people. And the second being the presence, the physical manifestation, the physical dwelling, the physical presence of God being with his people. Which should excite us, by the way. (laughs) It excites me. So what I'm going to do, if this is all right with you, is we're going to have a bit of a whistle-stop tour. So I want you to hold on to your hat. Just say, hold on to your hat. You're looking (laughs) semi-awake. 
Um, we're going to do a bit of a whistle-stop tour of, of the biblical story. Um, because I want us to grasp something. I want, I want something to kind of seep into our beings and into our souls today. I want something to be built up in our spirits. And I want faith to rise in our hearts um, of the God that is with us. Um, the promise of God and the presence of God. So we're going to do a whistle-stop tour um, of Scripture. And, you know, I could have gone on and on and on, but, you you know, you'll be glad to know I won't. But um, anyway, so I'm going to start, really, with just touching... I'm just going to touch on things, so I hope this is okay. Genesis chapter 15 um, is the story um, of when God makes a covenant with Abraham... God has promised um, to Abraham a son. God has promised to Abraham an inheritance. And Abraham is still waiting for this promise. Does that sound familiar at all? Anyone waiting for some promises? Three of us? Okay, okay. (laughs) Lucky you're a rest. Lucky. No, um, yeah, Abraham is... You know, God's given Abraham a promise of a son, of inheritance. And he's waiting and waiting for this promise. And God appears to Abraham... And he says to Abraham in chapter 7, I am the Lord. God is reminding Abraham of what he's done for him. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to take possession of it. And it tells us in Genesis chapter 15 that God makes a covenant with Abraham that he bases on himself. He makes a covenant with Abraham promising um, you know, to basically fulfill his promise and to not leave him. And for me, this story is, is an active demonstration of God, of God being with Abraham and God saying, I know you're waiting for this promise, but actually this is who I am. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, a story that we probably all know quite well, um, it's the story of when the people of Israel have been in Egypt. We know they've been in captivity. And again, God has promised freedom to them. And it, Exodus chapter 12 is the story of God delivering his people through Moses and Aaron. God uses Moses and Aaron. And God actively demonstrates his supernatural power by delivering his people out of slavery Um, out of the hands of the Egyptian. I love the book of Exodus. Um, And again, Exodus chapter 12 is an active demonstration of God breaking in to history and God breaking in to, to the lives of his people and setting them free, actively demonstrating that he is actually with them. And again, Exodus chapter 13 talks about the crossing of the Red Sea. We probably know that story. Um, You know, God's led the people out of slavery and they've got to cross the Red Sea. And by the supernatural activity of God, he separates the sea and the people of Israel pass through it unharmed and out the other side. Again, another another example of God breaking in to history, God breaking in to the lives of his people In Exodus chapter 19, we've got the story of um, Mount Sinai. So the the people of Israel have crossed the Red Sea and they're on the journey towards the promised land. And um, in Exodus chapter 19, it's an example of basically God demonstrating his very presence, God revealing his very presence to his people. Um, They're camped at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And God calls Moses up to the mountain 
And um, let me just read it. Sorry, Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very long trumpet blast. Everybody trembled. Moses led the people out to meet with God. Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord had descended on it. And yeah, it's the story of God revealing his very presence to his people. And, um, and like I said, calls Moses up to the mountain. So the very presence of Yahweh is, is revealed to his people. In Exodus chapter 25, we've got the story of God um, asking Moses, asking his people to build, the, to build him a tabernacle. God says, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And this, I think, in Exodus 25, gives us a demonstration of God's desire to dwell with his people. God's desire to be among his people. That God, didn't want, to, God doesn't want, didn't want to stay removed, but God wanted something in which he could dwell amongst his people. Um, and just a few more. Um, again, in Exodus um, chapter 23... So Moses is up the mountain um, encountering God and having received the commandments for the Israelites to live by. And the people of Israel are, are in rebellion. They've rebelled against God. They've turned away from him and they're trying to do it their own way. And they're building themselves a calf, a golden calf to worship. And um, Moses comes down, sees what, what has happened and, you know, despairs of these people But God says to him, actually, I want you to keep moving. I want you to keep going on to the land I've given you. And I love this. Moses says to God, he says, if you don't go with us, don't send us from this place. And Exodus 33, verse 13, God says to Moses, Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Again, another example of God promising his presence God promising, um, yeah, demonstration of, of him being with his people. And we've been reading the book of Joshua together, haven't we? Which I hope we remember. Um, and again, Joshua is full of stories of God actively demonstrating something. So Joshua chapter 3 is the crossing of the Jordan River. Do you remember that story? Um, like um, harking back to the Red Sea, God... Um, what does he do? Parts, thank you. He parts the Jordan to enable his people to cross through the Jordan and into the land that he's given them. And God says to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that you will know that I am with you as I was with Moses. I could go on and on. I could go on and on, but I won't. We could talk about the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We all know that story, don't we? Um, Where David offers to fight the giant Goliath. And they try and clothe him in the king's armor. They try and clothe him in something that isn't his, that doesn't fit him. It doesn't fit who he is. Um, but instead, David draws on what, he, on what he knows, the skills God's given him, and he finds those pebbles, and he swings them, and he hits Goliath, and Goliath is no more. And I love that story, because again, it's a demonstration of God being with his people, but again, it's a demonstration of God being with his people in a way that 
that is who he's made them to be, isn't it? God wanted David to draw on who, on the skills God had given him, on who God had made David to be, rather than wearing something that didn't belong to him. And I just felt this morning like maybe there were some of us here who felt like there was a stripping process going on, who felt like um, things were being removed from us. Um, a, um, a bit maybe like, you know, if David had been dressed in Saul's armour and then actually that's taken off because it didn't, didn't fit him right. I'm not saying that these things didn't fit you right, but I just felt like there was a removing of things for some people, a stripping off, a kind of laying bare. And it, it felt very... Um, you felt quite insecure, quite, quite, felt quite vulnerable with that. But I felt like God just wanted to assure you today that he is with you in that process. He is with you in that process of things being removed and of things being stripped down to kind of the bareness. Um, so, yeah, I trust that that resonates with some of you. Um, Okay, where are we up to? So just, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on in terms of looking at the examples through scripture of, of ways that God has broken into history, ways that God has, has promised his people that he is with them, ways that he is actively, he's demonstrated and he's actively revealed his presence. Um, Isaiah and many other of the Old Testament prophets foretold of a time when God would dwell with his people in a greater way through sending the Messiah. And as I've already pointed out, Isaiah chapter 7 is one example of this. It's the promise of, of 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 the Emmanuel, of God being with us. And we've looked at some, just a few examples of the promises of God being with his people and of the active dwelling presence of God, the active, the, the Yahweh dwelling with his people. And this, this all comes to a head. This all, all comes to a fulfillment through the person of Jesus, the ultimate embodiment of God and the ultimate of God being with his people because Jesus was God with man, wasn't he? Jesus was God with man, once again, God walking amongst his people, once again, God being with his people. Um, And in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read, um, the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus, the Word, became flesh, was the very embodiment of God being with his people. And of course, that's what we're celebrating, isn't it, in Advent? That's what we're looking forward to at Christmas, is celebrating Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, the ultimate fulfillment of God being with his people, coming to earth, breaking into our lives, breaking into history, and God being with us. And the thing is, the thing I want us to just grasp a bit this morning is is how active our God is, is how active 
he is that it's easy for us to read scripture it's easy for us to read stories through the old testament to even some of the examples that i've touched on that we've whistled through and it's easy for us to just read them like knowing the end of the story and knowing the answer when we ourselves are living in in the in-between you know, we don't know the end of the story for us. We don't know the fulfillment of some of the promises that we're still waiting for. But yet, the God that we read about is the same God. The God that we read about who broke through, who set his people free from Egypt, who parted the Red Sea for them to cross, who actively demonstrated and... Um, that he was with them, his very pres- revealing his very presence to his people. It's the same God today. It's the same God today that we worship, even though I don't know the end of my story. I don't know, some, I don't know the fulfillment. I'm still waiting for some promises. But it's the same God, and he says that he is with us. He says that he is with us. And one thing I love about the book of Matthew is Matthew having introduced to us this Emmanuel, this God being with us. Um, At the end of Matthew, in chapter 28, it's like the Emmanuel commission, if you like, the great commission of Jesus. So he is the ultimate Emmanuel. He is the embodiment of He is God with man. And it's like he gives his disciples the Emmanuel promise. Because he says, I am with you. I am with you to the very ends of the earth. It's like he was the Emmanuel, the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah at the beginning of the book. And now at the end of the book, he's giving his disciples, he's giving us the Emmanuel promise. He's saying, I am I am God with you. I have been with you. I've walked with you. I've eaten with you. I've wept with you. And now I'm saying, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And of course, we know that because God left us with his Holy Spirit. When Jesus left this earth, he he didn't leave us without anything. He left us with the power of his Holy Spirit his very presence, the same presence that we read about in Exodus chapter 19 when Yahweh reveals himself on the mountain. That's the same presence that God leaves with us today through his Holy Spirit. It's the same empowering presence of God that's with us. And I think if we get a hold of this, it will change how we live. If we get a hold of the fact that God is with us, that God is with me, it will change how I live. Because if God is with me, then who can be against me? And we read in the Psalms, don't we? You know, we read over and over again, you know, with my God, I can scale a wall. With my God, I see thousands fall at my right side, 10,000 at my left. You know, we read these promises. And if we can get a hold of it today, it will change how we live. And I know that it's not easy. I'm not saying that it's easy. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've got a couple of examples of, of, yeah, of just, of God being with us in difficult situations. And 
I mean, I don't know, just to say a couple, I guess. When, um, when I was pregnant with Micah, we'd had a miscarriage before, actually. And I was pregnant with Micah very, very early on in my pregnancy. I had some bleeding. And I was, fear gripped me. I struggle a bit with fear sometimes. Fear gripped me. And um, I became utterly convinced that I was having another miscarriage. And um, it was the middle of the night, and I couldn't do much about it. And um, Paul prayed with me. And I just lay there and I spoke Psalm 23 over and over and over and over again to myself, line by line. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And um, I just said it over and over and over again. And, I, and I, all I can say is I knew the very presence of God was with me. And I knew whatever happened, uh, you know, whatever happened, that God was with me. And actually, he wouldn't leave me or forsake me. And um, some of you might know that Paul and I are hoping and praying and planning on going to Africa sometime next year to live for a time and um we really want to work into the country of the democratic republic of congo and um it's an it's a very very war-torn broken broken land and um one of the darkest places on earth people refer it to where any evil takes place but i don't really care what they say because i know what god says about it and i know what god has said to us about it and um there's something in paul and i that wants to take this to the people in the Congo. And people say, why are you going? We're not specialists in anything. I can't, I can't dig boreholes. And, you know, I'm not a specialist in anything. But what I know is that God is with them. That they have faced things that are unimaginable but I know that God is with them and if I can go and sit with them and look at them in the eye and go God is with you he sent me for what whatever that's worth he sent me to say that he is with you and I am with you and let me be an active demonstration to you that God is with you I've completely lost my notes now but um that was my third point whatever other points I've had well no I have my first point was that God God demonstrates that he is with us through the biblical story my second point was God's demonstration through the embodiment of Jesus and my third point is this a God's demonstration that he is with us through his people that Emmanuel God with us is demonstrated to us not by a theory as we've read or But God with us is demonstrated, as I keep on saying, by God's deep activity through history. That God with us is demonstrated through the unfolding of the big story of scripture. That God with us is demonstrated through the lives of faithful, risk-taking men and women who have gone before us that we read about. And God with us is demonstrated through one another through the church community, through the priesthood of all believers, that you and I are to be active demonstrators of Emmanuel to one another, actively showing one another that God is with us, that if we're struggling to see where God is, if we're in situations that are dark and are hard and are difficult and we cannot see where God is, we need each other to remind us 
We need each other to, to eyeball one another and go, Eddie, God is with you. God is with you. To eyeball one another and say, Joe and TA, God is with you. Georgie Clark, God is with you. You know, this is what church is, people. This is the community, the priesthood of all believers, to eyeball one another and go, you might have forgotten it. You might be really struggling to see that God is with you, but I know that he is with you. I know that he is with you, that he has not left you, that he has not forsaken you. And how do I know this? I know this because of this, because of this, because of the promises, because of the active demonstration of God being with us. And that's what I want to grasp hold of today, that he is with us. And for us to go to people, to go to places, to go to situations where people don't know or where people have forgotten. And for us to to say, I'm here. I'm here because I believe that God's with you. And, And let me show you. Let me demonstrate how I believe that he's with you. I'm going to finish there. But, thanks Dave. But I think that we need to make a response. I think there's a few different responses for us to make. I think the first one I'd like us to make, we're going to break bread in a bit. But I think, first of all, what I'd like, maybe, is if you feel particularly like you're facing a situation and, and you need to know that God is with you, maybe you've forgotten or you're just facing a tough situation, I wonder if, we could, if you could stand.